Welcome in, everybody. Another 49ers live room. A good time for one. Been a lot of news the last couple days here to begin the offseason. 49ers have replaced their ex-defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, with a new one, an experienced coach and Steve Wilkes. And Brock Purdy has a surgery date set, February 22nd. It's going to be performed in Texas, Arlington, Texas, by the Rangers team physician, a baseball doctor who specializes in elbow reconstructions. Purdy not getting the elbow reconstruction. He's going to be expected back by training camp, which means he has opted for the internal brace technique, the more modern technique. It's the newer kid on the block, Nick Mullins. Uh, was able to come back the following season after a late 2020 UCL injury uh, with this technique. So Purdy against Trey Lance. Uh, Matt, by the way, Trey Lance was on Radio Road, the Super Bowl, today with Rich Eisen talking about the competition coming up, talking about embracing uh, a chance to compete with with Brock Purdy. Um, and I think that's how the 49ers are going to approach this. That Purdy, I think, has established a lead over Trey Lance with – how well he played this year, obviously much better than anything that we've seen from Lance yet. But Lance is going to have this offseason now to, I think, reestablish himself. And then we're going to see if he does really well, how Purdy returns if he does come back by training camp. And it just really makes for gripping television. The 49ers are interesting 365 days of the year. Yeah, uh, I think that um, the last time that Kyle Shanahan speaks – in the in the late spring, which will be the uh, the June mini camp, let's say it's uh, June, I don't know, fifteen or sixteen, something in that vicinity, um, he's going to get asked uh, what is the quarterback plan for training camp, and it's going to be really interesting. And um, if it's a competition between Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, uh, that that obviously is very interesting, but. It would be interesting to see how Shanahan sort of is, has constructed the offense because under Trey Lance, it's a little bit different than the offense under Brock Purdy. You know, we saw them kind of shift when, when Lance got hurt in week two and they went from Lance to Garoppolo and it wasn't as run centric um, as the offense was uh, under Lance. And I don't know, to me, the 49ers should sort of um, relieve that issue by just having Lance run the standard offense in the spring. I mean, I think that would be good for Lance and his development. If uh, they do do a uh, two-quarterback thing, to have them both kind of running the same offense. Uh, so um, that's all going to be really interesting stuff. I think I, I, I feel like the timing is going to be fuzzier than what we're getting. You know, they've been saying six months to return to full practice. Well, six months from... February, February 22 is August 22, which is usually around the last or, or second to the last preseason game. So um, that uh, remains to be seen. I've heard that they'll have a more precise idea of it once that surgery is completed on the 22nd. Though. Yeah. But uh, you're, you're right. It's all kind of compelling stuff uh, heading into the offseason. And exactly. Anytime you're dealing with six-month timetables, you're not – pinpointing something to the exact week you know like if, if it's a four to six week injury then yes but everybody wants to know the exact day and the exact week well six months is about as ballpark as as it gets right so it's gonna have to you know, Purdy's actually gonna have to go under the knife we're gonna have to see how the initial stages of rehab go we'll probably get the best clue uh, as to when he might be cleared to fully practice based on when he actually starts throwing right that Purdy has said that this particular technique that the 49ers are using, he uh, outlines that he returns throwing in about three months. So that's presumably going to happen at some point in May. And if it happens in earlier May, well, then I, I think he'd be on track to return for training camp at the start of it. If it happens in later May, well, maybe not, right? So we'll just have to keep on evaluating the checkpoints uh, on the way with uh, Brock Purdy. But you know, I think you bring up a great point with the different offenses for Lance and Brock Purdy. And I think the ultimate goal for Kyle Shanahan has been for Trey Lance to be able to run the standard 49ers offense, but then enhance it with his running ability, right? I think that Lance 
has been so raw so far in the action that we've seen him at at an NFL level that Shanahan has kind of had to put the cart in front of the horse. And he's had to accentuate Lance's running ability more than he's wanted to because Lance hasn't really been ready to, to deliver as efficiently and as precisely in the passing game as has been needed. The hope is that, you know, with more mental reps and Trey Lance has had plenty of those at the Super Bowl today with Rich Eisen, he talked about being in charge of charting blitzes and helping Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo, but he helped Purdy more because uh, Purdy was a rookie and Garoppolo is a veteran with, with, with pressures. You hope that over time, Brock Purdy has been able to conceptualize the NFL game, NFL game speed better. And you'd hope that once he does start getting more reps under his belt this offseason, uh, he'll be able to better handle that pass game situation to the point where Shanahan can run, comfortably run, the same offense that he's run for his other quarterbacks. Trey Lance right. has just been exceptionally raw, right? Yeah, for sure. It's reps, reps, reps for Trey Lance. Um, you know, Brock Purdy came into the NFL with five times, almost five times, the number of college reps that Lance did. And I think that was absolutely apparent uh, when he got his chance. Uh, and so, you know, uh, obviously having two healthy quarterbacks all, all offseason is ideal. But this scenario, if it holds true, uh, if Purdy is 100% for the start of training camp, this scenario one in which Trey Lance gets the lion's share of the snaps in the spring, I think is, uh, is, is pretty good. I mean, all things considered, um, because he's the one that needs the reps the most. Uh, David, there was other news regarding the other side of the ball. Uh, the 49ers hired a defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, who got really high marks in Carolina. Um, you know, uh, we, we all saw, and a lot of 49ers fans saw, the Panthers at their absolute low point, week five. I mean, they were booed off the field. The stadium was full of 49ers fans by the end of the game. It was a blowout. That franchise was as low as any in the NFL. And uh, Matt Rule was fired. Steve Wilkes came in. And he did okay. I mean, <laughs> this was with a team that that traded its best asset, Christian McCaffrey, to the 49ers. Uh, and they still went, uh, what was it, 6-6. Six and six down the stretch to the point where Wilkes was a legitimate head coaching, permanent head coaching candidate there. He didn't get the job. Uh, Frank Reich did. And um, he becomes the 49ers defensive coordinator. The, the top criterion for Kyle Shanahan was basically don't change anything. Um, and from what I hear, there's not going to be a lot of turnover on Shanahan's staff. That's still being sorted out, but nobody is sort of bracing for another sea change, uh, especially on the defensive side. There might be a couple of uh, assistants that go with uh, D'Amico Ryans to Houston, but Wilkes is coming in. He might bring a couple of guys with him, but it's essentially going to be the same system and mostly the same assistants um, running that that uh, that defense. So th there's more continuity there. I know that was paramount for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and it was interesting to me. You reported it yesterday that, Chris Kacarek was part of the interview process for Steve Wilkes. And Steve Wilkes has a DB background. I mean, this is a guy that started as a player, as a defensive back, and then as a defensive backs coach once, once he moved to that side of the game. So the 49ers have brought in uh, DC, who's going to be a specialist when it comes to working with the secondary. Their uh, prior defensive coordinator, Johnny Holland, was a specialist when it came to working with the uh, linebackers. But D'Amico Ryans was a specialist when it came to working with the linebackers because uh, he was co-coach with Johnny Holland at that linebacker level. And now you have a guy who's uh, you know going to be focused on the back end while Chris Kacarek, the defensive line coach, I think is going to have free reign to keep the wide nine, to maintain that continuity along the defensive front. And as you said, that's exactly the way that the 49ers want this because they love the work that Chris Kacarek has done. They also, uh, you know, are embracing a philosophical shift on the defensive side of the ball. This was a team that was squarely rush over coverage for 2019. And then they planned to be that way in 2020. They were that way even in 2021, but we started to see a shift. And then we really saw the shift 
this past season to where they are pouring a lot of resources into the defensive backfield. Maybe it's because they saw 2021 and that record amount of defensive pass interference penalties killed them. But this past year, Matt, the 49ers pass rush, the numbers, even the advanced ones, the sack one, the you know pressure numbers, those all fell the middle of the pack. This was not an elite pass rush by any stretch of the imagination. Yet the 49ers still led the NFL in interceptions. That was the first time that they had done that under Kyle Shanahan. They never came close to that in years prior. So more a better pass defense this past year with a worse pass rush. I'd have to say that this is a balanced unit now. And, uh, you know, I, I think they obviously want the, the pass rush to step back up closer to levels that it was at before. Full confidence that if Chris Kaskarik gets the right players opposite Nick Bosa, the right players, a defensive tackle, that can happen. But by hiring Steve Wilkes, they, I think they're continuing to embrace the fact that they're leaning more and more on the coverage aspect of their defense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and that's really going to be the, the question mark to me uh, defensively this offseason is how do they get that pass rush? Because I think the secondary is going to be good. Um, it could lose Jimmy Ward, and that would be significant just given who he is and how long he's uh, he's been here. But mainly it's going to stay the same um, with Charvarius Ward on one side, at the very least, uh, it'll be uh, Diamador Lenore, maybe um, Emmanuel Mosley is, is back and at full health at the start of the season, and he's manning that other spot. Um, but it's a it's a solid secondary, and, and obviously it's a solid linebacker core. And obviously you've got uh, one fantastic edge rusher on that defensive line, but I, I would think that uh, a defensive line that has Nick Bosa, the NFL sack king, and likely defensive player of the year on it, wants a little bit more production um, pressure-wise from the entire line. What was it, 44 sacks? Which is a, a fine number, um, but it's not a huge number. And, and I think that should be the, the aspiration. So the question becomes, how do, how do the 49ers sort of build back or at least build half of that defensive line just to get uh, some more production out of it? And there's some interesting guys in free agency. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe kind of jumps out to me just because he's sort of that speed rusher, very much in the same mold that uh, D Ford was. You, you might criticize him as a as a one trick pony, but it's a it's a hell of a trick <laughs> he's pulling off there. Um, and uh, I don't know, Marcus Davenport is another one. Remember, D Ford came to the 49ers via a trade, so. The 49ers, I think, will look into a lot of different ways to get better in that regard. But uh, to me, that's the defensively, that's Steve Wilkes' uh, kind of number one task is to figure out, let's say that they need to add five guys to that defensive line, uh, either through free agency or the draft. Um, and, and some of them could be guys that were with the 49ers this past season. Charles Amenahieu jumps out. Uh, but uh, they need to find the right formula, and I'm not sure they had the right, the exact right formula in 2022. Well, you know what I think they're really missing was a quality interior pass rusher. In yeah. 2019, yeah, they had DeForest Buckner and DJ Jones. That was before Jones turned into the, the force that, that he would be later in his 49ers career. But they had Jones and Eric Armstead in 2021. That was really big for the inside. This past season, you lost Jones. They no, obviously no longer had DeForest Buckner, but Armstead missed a large swath of the season. And if you look at the efficiency, or lack thereof, pass rushing-wise on this defensive line, I made a chart the other day. And In my charts, there's a blue means above average, red means uh, below average. The interior line was all red, except for Eric Armstead, who was just a little bit above average, uh, but obviously he missed a lot of this season. So... They were a below-average defensive tackle unit when it came to rushing the passer, and I think that really showed up, and I think that that, that extends out to the edges because if those guys on the interior are commanding more double teams, wreaking more havoc, that's what's going to really free up those edge guys in the wide nine to, to use the extra spacing that the alignment provides. And the metrics of the edge guys, you know, Bosa was obviously awesome. But the other guys weren't terrible. Amenahu, I think, ranked 19th out of edge rushers in uh, pass rush productivity. So, it, you know, that was, it was something that the 49ers could work with. Obviously, back when they had 
D Ford, they had to- two top 10 guys when Ford was healthy between Bosa and Ford. And that's something that the Eagles had this year with Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat. So if you want to be elite, yes, you-, you need two top 10 edge rushers. But I think first and foremost, this is about grabbing a def- somebody on the inside that can really help out those edge rushers. The 49ers defensive line for the first time in a while, we can say they, they need help at, at multiple spots. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it'll be interesting because, um, you know, this has been um, a priority for John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan and, and obviously Chris Kacarek, uh and they pick out the right guy. So, uh, you know, I, I, Steve uh, Wilkes is going to have um, some some room, I think, some some uh, resources to, to have to fix that line. But uh, to me, that's the uh, that's the big offseason task on that side of the ball. Um, they could stand to use uh, probably another defensive back. They got 11 picks in the draft right now. I doubt that they're going to end up with 11 at the end of the day. But um, you know, th- there's there's a lot of uh, ways that this team could go, sort of bulk up that roster. Well, we talk about bulking up the roster. I want to flip it to the other side of the ball, to the offensive line, because we're about to watch the Super Bowl here on Sunday. And I think, you know, after studying this this season, watching both of the, the two competitors in the Super Bowl play the 49ers, I think that these are the two best offensive lines in football, square enough. And the 49ers saw that firsthand against the Eagles just about a week and a half ago. They, they had trouble generating pressure against Jalen Hurts because the Eagles up front was so, were so strong. And the 49ers had a lot of trouble against the Chiefs offensive line, which by some of those ESPN metrics is by far the best pass-blocking offensive line in football. I don't think it's a coincidence, Matt, that the two very best offensive lines in football are squaring off in the Super Bowl. I think that that position is so important, especially in this modern pass-happy game. We talked about the 49ers needing to bolster their defense with uh, some acquisitions this offseason. Well, that offensive line, that deserves and needs a lot of attention as well because right now, just looking at it, Plainly, you have pending free agents at center and at right tackle. Jake Brendel and Mike McGlinchey are both coming off of good seasons, and the 49ers are going to have to find a way to take care of those two positions, whether it be by re-signing those guys or uh, finding some kind of mix-and-match that is uh, a, a different path. But whatever they do better work, and I think it better improve the offensive line because that's what's going to be necessary for the 49ers to take the next step. Yeah, tackle is going to be interesting because tackle is a, a big ticket item. Usually, teams that have a you know a top fifteen pick, that's where they get their tackles. That's what the Forty ers did in twenty eighteen with uh, Mike McGlinchey. I think he was uh, taken what was he ninth overall that that draft. Uh, so um, you know they're they're not easy to get. So if you're losing Mike McGlinchey, I would think that the Forty ers plan is to insert either uh, Colton McKivitz or Jalen Moore in that spot. And I know McClinchy gets a lot of of grief from fans. Um, he's led the team in quarterback pressures allowed in three of the five years he's been there. Uh, but I just wonder whether if you're going to go with uh, uh, somebody else, a um, a, uh, a backup, uh, somebody who was a backup this past season, whether people are going to miss, miss McClinchy when he's gone. Um, so he's a, a free agent. Um, Jake Brendel's a free agent and Daniel Brunskill's a free agent. I mean, to, to me, uh, Brendel is, is the one that they're going to try the hardest to keep a hold of. Uh, I, I thought that his season compared very well to Alex Max and, and Mac made the, the pro bowl in, in 2021. Um, you know, he wasn't as, um, as good a run blocker. He's not as big and as strong as, as Mac was, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the statistics, at least what you can see, were very similar. Uh, so, I mean, it, it seems like the, that Kyle Shanahan would want to hold on to that anchor on his line and maybe maybe let the other two guys go. You've got Nick Sakel coming in. He could potentially um, replace uh, Brunskill as far as being a backup guard and a backup center. Like I said, McKivitz and, and Jalen Moore could be the, the next guy to, to start at right tackle. Uh, but you're right. I mean... <laughs> You look at the two teams that really throttled the 49ers this year, and I know that there were some circumstances in the Eagles game that 
that that affected it uh, dramatically. But uh, the the two teams with really good offensive lines, really good interior offensive lines, really moving Javon Kinlaw out of the way, clearing some space, et cetera, et cetera. Those were the ones that gave the 49ers the, the biggest fits. And on the other side of the ball, the 49ers finished the season without a single healthy quarterback. And QB injuries have been absurdly common for this team over the past four years. And you know, we could sit here and talk about play calling and superstition and luck and all things. The, really, the only thing in football that you can reasonably adjust because the, the, the play calling arguments, I think, are really out of touch with, with the realities of what play callers and the challenges the teams have to have to face. Um, I mean, people complain about Tyler Croft blocking, trying to block Hassan Reddick. That's, that's a play that the 49ers actually used a great success a lot of the time. The, the most the NFL has tight ends blocking edge rushers when they take play fake shots downfield. I, I think what, you have to look at these injuries on the aggregate and say the one way that you can reduce QB injury rate or at least increase your chances of reducing QB injury rate is to just set up as good of a blocking situation as possible. The better the offensive line, the better chance you have of keeping your quarterbacks healthy. I think in general, that's the only like actual tangible thing you can do aside from trying to sign quarterbacks who don't have long injury histories, right? So, uh, and Brock Purdy didn't have a long injury history, by the way, when they drafted him. Trey Lance didn't either. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt once, right? Maybe twice with New England. But still, you, you don't really know until they play for a prolonged period with your team. And I think that it's best to not find out if a guy's going to get hurt a lot. And the best way to do that is to shield him from contact as much as possible with that offensive line. So just for the very simplest reason, I think that, the you know, it's that's that's a position group that is worthy of extra investment for the 49ers this offseason, Matt, because we're coming off of a historically ugly finish for this team as far as not having any quarterbacks healthy at the end of it. Uh, Carlos A. has a question sort of along these lines. He asks, what are the chances of the 49ers upgrade TE2 position, tight end two position? Um, <laughs> it seems like we've been waiting for this to happen for a long time now. Uh, and, and the 49ers discuss it, but they never really do it. Um, so what, what is it? We've got uh, 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 George Kittle is under contract. Charlie Warner is under contract for the next season, but Croft and Dwelly are both unrestricted free agents. So, um, you know, either bring those two guys back or, or bring in at least, uh, I mean, for the off season roster, they'll probably have six tight ends, but as far as the regular season roster, we're talking about, uh, two spots are open. So yeah, I absolutely think that they could and should bring in that tight end too. Um, Croft, uh, is going to go down as, uh, as the goat, um, in the uh, NFC Championship game, but actually he was, he was a pretty strong blocker, especially run blocker uh, throughout the season. Um, certainly was uh, the next best guy after Kittle at that position. Uh, so maybe he comes back. I don't know. Uh, they get a lot of their uh, a lot of bang for their buck with Dwelly. But uh, I agree. I mean, they're, they're sitting on how many third round picks do they have right now, David? Three. Uh, yeah, they have three, but they don't pick until then. Yeah, right. But I wonder whether they can't uh, kind of pull together some of those picks, some of their 11 picks, and go up a little higher, maybe yeah. earlier in the third round, and, and get a, uh, a a top tight end, one of the top tight ends. They won't get the top tight end, but get somebody who can really, um, you know, not only block, but also be a threat to, to catch the ball, a little bit more dual threat than anybody else, aside from Kittle, that's on the team right now. Yeah, I mean, and that's been a dream of Kyle Shanahan's. It's just that limitations of free agency and the draft and salary cap have prevented the 49ers from doing that. But we remember in 2020, they took a flyer on Jordan Reed, who definitely showed the ability to be what the 49ers wanted. But he was a, a, one of those players that got hurt a lot, and he got hurt for the 49ers. And George Kittle was also hurt for a large part of that season. So. I think there was only one game, maybe there were two, where they got both of those guys, Kittle and Reed, on the field at the same time in 2020. So that that dream was dashed. But that was the division. Kyle Shanahan even talked about it when they did pick up Jordan Reed. And it was a low-cost signing. It was an injury flyer. So it didn't hurt them when it didn't pan out. But 
we do know where Kyle Shanahan's mind is. He, he would love that second tight end. He would love, I mean, Kyle Shanahan wants adaptable players. So he has Kyle Juszczyk line up at tight end. He's got some of his receivers line up there in more of an inline spot because he wants that positionless skill position dynamic, right? He wants guys who can threaten to block, but also go out for a pass pattern. And then the defense doesn't know what's coming at the line of scrimmage, and that helps create mismatches downfield. How about we uh, hop over to some more questions, Matt? I, I personally can't see any questions coming through right now, so thanks for uh, manning the ship on the question front. Yeah, we got one from Matt H., and he asks, uh, what's the better move, grabbing a free agent edge rusher or trying to draft one in the third, fifth round? Um, well, if it's the fifth round, <laughs> I'd say that's <laughs> – that's the best move because uh, chances are the guy's going to turn into an all-pro at some point. Their, their, their luck in the fifth round has been outstanding. But, uh, you know, we saw from, from Drake Jackson um, that uh, even, uh, what was he, uh, a late second rounder. Um, I'm not sure you can lean on that rookie all season. You saw him sort of fade at the end of the, uh, of the year, I think. Um, he's in a great position to make a, a big leap, and we, and we should we should have discussed him as far as that edge position. He's certainly in the mix, and the 49ers are are hoping that he makes a big leap in his second year, and that's usually when when guys do exactly that. And uh, he seems to have all the tools to to be a future starter uh, at that spot. He's not a one trick pony. I think he's got uh, both uh, kind of innate quickness. He's got just a insane flexibility um you know something that nick bosa just works so hard to get um it comes naturally for drake jackson he also has size and the the question is whether he can kind of focus and hone and train and and just be really consistent because uh he seems to have a really nice foundation for exactly what the 49ers need at that other spot yeah, he had three sacks over the first six games of this season, and he was also tied for the NFL lead with uh, other defensive linemen with uh, pass, pass breakups in the line of scrimmage, pass deflections. So he's obviously doing something right over the first half of the season. I think it's a simple explanation. I think that this was a 20-game season. That's really long. That's a marathon. Drake Jackson had previously only played in an 11-game season once at USC. That was his maximum length of season so uh, it's tough for these guys they have to rewire themselves in a way to be able to withstand the rigor and the marathon of these seasons and not just you know mentally I think that you have to go through that grind physically at least once feel how it is to be worn down so your body understands what it's going to take to to be ready for that so you know and zooming out larger point to answer the question seems to me that yeah you can find a lot of your gems guys that can become pro bowlers all pros instant impact kind of guys uh, at, at, at other positions a little bit later in the draft but at the really the positions that demand the most physicality and that's defensive line and offensive line i have to do some kind of study on this but i feel that the trenches draft positioning is definitely more correlated to actual nfl on-field success uh, than elsewhere. Like, I mean, it, it's really hard to pick an edge rusher in the fifth round and expect him, especially in his first year, to be physically ready to beat NFL offensive tackles consistently. Yeah. To me, it yeah. seems that the, the, it's those marquee picks that really do work out with edge rushers, right? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and those later round picks, you're usually seeing teams use on DBs and, and wide receivers. Although, I mean, uh, you know, George Kittle was a, a fifth rounder. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of exceptions to that rule, but I think that that generally holds true. Yeah, so I think that there's a reason why it's hard to stock up on, on edge rushers, and it's because it's a premium position. It is the antidote to a great quarterback, right? Because if, if you can get to the QB in less than 2.5 seconds consistently, uh, you can shut down an opposing pass game. You can make the Chiefs look like they looked against the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They only scored nine points, kept Patrick Mahomes out of the end zone. So uh, it's, it is it is a premium position that takes big-time capital to secure. And the 49ers, it's, you know, their investment in it has paid off over the years, but uh, you could see how 
pricey and risky that investment can be. When D Ford was healthy, and it wasn't for very long that he was healthy, their pass rush was the best one in the league because he was their paired opposite Nick Bosa. But they gave D Ford a lot of money and they traded a second round pick to Kansas City for him. And when D Ford ended up not being healthy, uh, that hurt the 49ers. And they're still paying over $8 million this year on the books and dead Ooh. money hit for don't, D Ford. Yeah. Don't, don't so, tell the fan base that. <laughs> That's not great. Yeah. So, yeah, he is, he's still pricey for the 49ers right now. And, and that, you know, it goes to show you, though, that they really were starved for an edge rush in that 2019 offseason. Yeah. And, I mean, that whole thing is, I think, it's some pretty complex stuff. That 2019 team was excellent. That pass rush roared its way to the Super Bowl, thanks in large part to D. Ford was there. The one massive disappointment for the 49ers is they didn't finish the job against Kansas City. But, gosh, if they could just hold on, but one, one or two more things break their way in the fourth quarter of that game, people are looking at that D. Ford acquisition a lot differently, right? They, they don't care how much dead money there would be if they would finish off that Super Bowl. So, um he was a big part of the 49ers formula when he was healthy. Problem was that he wasn't healthy enough, but it underscores the need. Uh, it underscored both the need and the difficulty of stocking up that defensive line in a way that, that makes a true difference in the NFL. No, I, I totally agree. Um, here's one from Nate W. He asks, what might be the 49ers plan if Jimmy Wand, I think he probably means Jimmy Ward, Probably leaves in free agency. Yeah, Nate. Nate managed to misspell both Jimmy and Ward in this one, but that's okay, Nate. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying. So, David, what do you think happens with that secondary if if Ward say goes to Houston or to New York Jets or to the Miami Dolphins? Well, let's use this as a chance to underscore how underrated Deshaun Gibson was last season. Gibson led all NFL safeties. In passer rating allowed, 53.0, number one in the whole league, and he was number two in missed tackle rate of, of NFL safety. So in both phases of the game, Gibson was excellent for the 49ers. That, you know, that's just good background because we're also not sure if the 49ers are going to be able to retain Gibson. It seems that he's thinking about retiring. He's, he's on the fence there because he was 32 this past year. But if Gibson does return because he's felt the fountain of youth playing next to Talano Hufanga. He has said that, and obviously he posted an excellent year. If he does return, well, then not returning Jimmy Ward would not hurt nearly as bad because Gibson played so well that Ward moved to Nickelback, and Ward improved over the course of the year in Nickelback, but theoretically, if the 49ers can re-sign Emmanuel Mosley, if they you know can get some kind of bounce back from Ambry Thomas for some cornerback depth, um, and if they can continue these, this ascent from Diometer Lenore, they, and Samuel Womack, too, they, they got his feet wet a little bit last year. They can find a body for perhaps Lenore to move inside to Nickelback and man the role that Jimmy Ward did last year. But that's all contingent, I think, on somebody taking to Sean Gibson's spot. And hopefully for the 49ers' sake, that's to Sean Gibson. Hopefully he can stay for them. And that would make the, the replenishment process a lot easier on the back end if uh, Ward indeed does not return. Yeah, Gibson, 32 years old, um, only Janoris Jenkins at 34 is older on that defense by the end of the season, and uh, Gibson played more snaps than than anybody else on defense. So um, his body definitely held up. Um, you know, you can't kind of speak for a guy, but he seemed, uh, asterisk, asterisk, seemed like he was okay uh, throughout the year. So, yeah, hopefully he does come back. But I agree with you. Um, if Ward were to go... Um, you need to figure out the free safety. And then I, I think it's either Lenore or Womack who kind of step in as the nickelback. A, a couple of questions about Kalia Davis. We'll go with Jeffrey M's question. Do the 49ers envision Kalia Davis to fill in for that DJ Jones role, stout run stuffer, or, um, uh, well, I guess that's the question. Uh, you know, what, what kind of player is Kalia Davis? How do the 49ers envision him uh, functioning on that defensive line? Every single time that somebody on the staff or in the front office mentions Kalia Davis, they also mention DJ Jones. That was, that was the comp. And, you know, Kalia Davis is a special kind of player in that he was a stack inside linebacker at the college level that move to defensive tackle. And that is something that Chris Kacerik told me he has never worked with before. 
And that's, that's crazy. Inside linebacker moving to defensive tackle. Defensive tackle is known as the most immobile position on the field, typically, right? That's the position where you're okay with a little extra bulk just so the guy is a fire hydrant. So you can't really move him. So you could eat up some double teams, get anchor there, you know, against uh, some, some powerful interior blocks. But to, to gain that kind of strength, you're okay with sacrificing explosiveness. Well, Kalia Davis comes from the most explosive position in the front seven. That's inside linebacker. That's where you need sideline to sideline speed. He started his college career at Central Florida at that stack linebacker spot. And then they said, you know, this guy can really move, but he's got that stocky build. He's got that low center of gravity. We think he could take on guards. We think he could take on centers. We think he could take on lead blocks. They're right there in the middle of that defense. So they switched him to defensive tackle. Now, here's the one scary thing. And I don't know, I'm just speculating right now. And all the, anybody, everybody's just going to be speculating until we see Kalia Davis take an NFL field and uh, establish that he can deliver a prolonged career. Hopefully that's not the reason why he tore his ACL, right? Because this guy is so, I mean, he's so explosive. But you combine that with a size increase to play defensive tackle, that is when like ligament tears can, can, can happen because there's a lot of strain on the ligament. So he tore his ACL his final year at college, comes to the 49ers. They're rehabbing him the entire first year, but he impressed the hell out of them toward the end of the year when he joined them in practice. And they're talking about him being a DJ Jones type, which is a stocky dude who's also really explosive. So if that knee can hold up for Aaliyah Davis – they, they do think they have a player cut from that same cloth. And this is what we talked about at the top of the show, Matt. The 49ers really need that. They're, they're, they were deficient in terms of interior pass, uh, pass rush production this past year. Javon Kinlaw wasn't giving them what they needed. Kevin Givens wasn't giving them what they needed. Givens a better run stopper than, than a pass rusher. Armstead was, but Armstead was also hurt. So... They need more from the interior pass rush, and the hope is that Clea Davis's skill set can can bring some of that next season. I talked to, to Davis briefly uh, during that window where he was practicing, and uh, you know he he hadn't those were his first practices of the year. I think they were they were occurring in in late December there, and he was really pleased with how he was doing both his rehab and he felt like he had started to kind of turn a corner. Um, the, the bottom line being he felt like he was heading into the off season in a really good spot. And, you know, the longer I cover the NFL, the, the more I realize that that that's such an important thing. Like guys that go into the off season, nursing injuries, having to recover from injuries, um, you know, it, they just don't get as good a jump on the on the year. As other guys, I mean, look at look at Brandon Ayuk. I think he's just a, a fantastic example of this. He went into the twenty twenty two off season uh, like a man on a mission. I mean, he was focused, he was dedicated, and he parlayed that into the best season of his career. Debo Samuel did the same thing the year prior. Um, George Kittle just the other day was talking about this is the first time since twenty nineteen that he doesn't have to begin the off-season rehabbing and doing this and that. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, you, you can certainly have a, a good year following a an off-season of rehab, and I'm sure the 49ers are hoping Brock Purdy has exactly that. Um, but for some of these, especially the skill position players, um, you know, DJ Jones is another example. I mean, he, he went into that final year with the 49ers, you know, a contract year. He was super focused, and it showed – with how he played, his stamina, his strength, all that stuff. So my point is that I think that Clea Davis is uh, is is um, in a really good position. Uh, obviously, he he redshirted his rookie year, uh, but uh, that that seems to be entirely behind him. And I think he's going to have a really good um, start to the off season. Uh, Malik, uh, a frequent question asker. Thank you, Malik. Uh, asks, is Gold coming back? Is Robbie Gold coming back? What do, what do you think, uh, David, about uh, the prospect of a 40-year-old kicker returning on what's going to be a uh, top-of-the-market deal? Well, all right, listen, he's the best kicker in NFL playoff history. He's 29 out of 29 of field goals. He hasn't missed yet in the playoffs. That included this season. Nobody else has done that. Justin Tucker hasn't done that. Uh, it 
if you can get him back for $5 million a year, I think his cap hit was 5.5 this past season. And you consider yourself a true contender if you're the 49ers. I, I, think, I think you have to do it. Uh, you know, he, he, he's still absolutely clutch in the moments that matter most. I know he missed against the Raiders, but that wasn't one of the moments that mattered most. The 49ers ended up winning that game anyway. He ended up uh, actually winning that game for them with a the kick anyway at the end. So that that playoff number, that's that's hard to, to run from. That's Who, who are you going to get to replace him? And then how, how much would you regret it if, if you got some mediocre kicker, some rookie, I don't know, who uh, screwed you over in the playoffs next year? And, and you did all the work to get back to the playoffs and your roster was even healthier than this year and uh, it was ready to go. And, and then you lose to the Eagles 29-28 uh, to 28 because of a missed field goal at the end by somebody not named Robbie Gold. I mean, I just don't think that the 49ers can, can live with that, that chance. Now, if Robbie doesn't want to come back to the 49ers, if he would rather be closer to his family in Chicago and, uh, you know, would demand $10 million a year or something to stay with the 49ers, that's that. But as we know, he wants to make the Hall of Fame and he wants to win a Super Bowl. And to me, like his best chance of padding that Hall of Fame resume and trying to get that Super Bowl ring is with the 49ers. So I think it makes sense for him to be amenable to an affordable deal with the 49ers, something around that 5 million range again. And it makes too much sense for the 49ers to keep him. He has not shown any signs of decline uh, as far as field goal kicking yet. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, two years ago, the 49ers were in this exact same uh, predicament, and they decided to pay him because they said to themselves, you know, we expect you to be playing big games in January and February, and we want a veteran kicker that we think is going to nail those consequential kicks. <laughs> Nothing's really changed uh, with, with either party. Uh, the 49ers still are in that position, and gold is still – uh, kicking in those those high pressure kicks, so uh, I think it'll resolve itself. There's going to be all sorts of, you know, this and that, just like there was uh, uh, a couple of years ago. The off season is full of that kind of stuff. Debo Samuel springs to mind, but uh, I think that a deal gets done at some point. Um, Joseph W asks, "What do you think are the chances that we see the Niners over here in London next season?" Versus the Jags, presumably. Hearing anything. Very high. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, Jed York would love it. Jed York is a, uh, um, I was going to say majority, but I don't think he's majority yet, but has a huge share in Leeds United. And I think uh, Jed York would love a week that includes a uh, Leeds United game and a 49ers game um, very close to each other. Uh, and, And you would have the... Uh, you know, the, the 49ers players showing up at, uh, the Leeds United stadium and vice versa. So there'd be some cross promotional stuff. I think that's what big time businessmen think about. So, um, I know he's all for it. Um, and they do play the Jaguars who of course play regularly in London. And I'm sure that the NFL schedule makers will be notified of that business interest from the 49ers. So I think, I think that's something that's going to happen. I don't know. I don't have any word that it's going to happen, but just knowing how the league works, knowing that the 49ers are one of the prized franchises of the league, the league will recognize they have that investment in London and the league wants to grow in Europe. What better way to grow than to, you know, help support a partnership uh, between an NFL team and, and, and a soccer team over there in the UK. So um, I think 49ers Jaguars over there, uh, next season is going to be something uh, that that will happen. You cover that last game over there that they played in 2012, Matt. It was uh, it was 49ers Jaguars, right in 2012. Yeah, I, I covered that game, and they played the the Broncos. Uh, gosh, I can't remember what year it was. It was uh, Mike Singletary year, so it must have been 2007 or 2008. And they won both of those games. So uh, London has been good to them. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot of travel and they get the bye week, uh, right after that. So, um, uh, we, we would know exactly when the bye would be if, if they did get a London game. Cool. Uh, let's go with one more, uh, Joseph B this time, not Joseph D, but Joseph B. Will, uh, Al Shire stay with the team? What do you think, David? 
I don't think so. I think that'd be a total luxury pickup or retention. The the 49ers are up against it with the cap. I mentioned the dead money that they're still owed to D Ford this year, but they've got about $225 million in liabilities right now. Their adjusted cap is only about $236 million after you include carryover and everything. And they only have 46 players under contract. So, um, you know, that you can do that math easily. They have to fill up a bunch more spots with only $11 million. Now they can free up some space with, for example, Nick Bosa currently has a cap hit of nearly $18 million. That's actually going to go down when he signs his extension because they won't be the fifth year option price. They could spread it out over future years. They could take somebody like Christian McCaffrey. That was a $12 million cap hit and lower that down to five or six million with a restructure that I think would make a lot of sense. So you, you could open up spots and space here and there. But as we know, we saw this in 2020, you want to enter a year with a buffer of at least $5 million. Otherwise, you're going to be really struggling throughout the course of the year to sign guys when guys get hurt. And that was a really big problem in 2020. Plus, before then, they have to sign... Um, well, there's a lot of positions that are up for unrestricted free agency. Right tackle with McGlinchey. There's no money from that accounted on the books right now. So whatever you do, right tackle is going to cost you some money unless you actually do decide to go to Colton McKivitz. And even McKivitz is going to cost something because I don't think he right now is technically under contract for next year. I think he's going to be, is he going to be a restricted free agent? Uh, even if he's unrestricted, he'd probably get him back uh, for relatively cheap. But still, it's this is all stuff that you've got to take care of if you're the 49ers. And Aziz Alshire, I mean, that's a luxury, that's a luxury addition to a team that already has Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. And I think that's why it's long been viewed as a choice between Greenlaw and Alshire. And the 49ers effectively, in my opinion, picked Dre Greenlaw when they re-signed him uh, earlier in the 2022 season. But I mean, you never know. Some stuff can break the Fort Anner's way. They can get somebody f- back for a little bit cheaper than they expected. Uh, there could be a little bit more cap room for whatever reason than they anticipated. Al Shire's market might not be as hot as, as people might think it, it, it can be. And, and if that happens, they can bring him back. But to me, it seems less likely uh, than it is likely at this point. Yeah, he got some attention last year as a restricted free agent. And usually... When that happens, uh, the following year, the, the guy's uh, the guy's gone, and you know, um, you know, he was not only the the strong side linebacker, the guy who started games if the Forty ers were in their base defense, but he was uh, Fred Warner's top backup, and he was uh, Dre Greenlaw's top backup. So he's he's got versatility, he's got smarts, he can kind of run the show if you want to sign him as a middle linebacker. Um, I think he's probably going to get his chance to, uh, to do that. Uh, but it does mean that the 49ers are going to have to find somebody to kind of step into that third linebacker role. Oren Burks um, got some time as a, as a middle linebacker. He'd probably be the first choice to replace uh, Warner if Warner got hurt, and Warner hardly ever gets hurt. Uh, but I'm not sure that Burks has got the speed that the 49ers want um, to come in and play for Greenlaw at that weak side spot. Um, you know, uh, Marcelino, uh, th- th- David, this uh, surprised me. Marcelino uh, McCrary Ball was stood out to me because he was not signed to a reserve future contract, and I can't yeah. get to the bottom of this, uh, but he seemed like somebody who, you know, potentially could fill that role because he's very fast. Um you know, very kind of uh, well put together, too. I was always kind of eyeing him as the next Aziz, uh, and, and that may be the case, and, and, and that's why he's not uh, signed to one of these perfunctory reserve future contracts. But um, that uh, that did kind of strike me, because of all those practice squad guys, Quantrez Knight jumps out, Jason Poe certainly jumps out, but the third guy, I would say, that kind of jumps out as somebody who could factor into the, the future of this team was uh, McCrary Ball. And he really endeared himself to the media, too, with those really, really long press conference <laughs> answers. I mean, that, that guy just took it and, and ran with it. So, yeah, you're, you're right. The reserve future deal, the way I would say it's a minimum deal, that generally means off-season deal. It's, it is clearly signifying that the team doesn't expect you to make uh, the 53-man roster 
you have a chance, obviously, to move up the pecking order. Uh, so, yeah, but all of the youngsters on the practice squad, with the exception of McCrary Ball, got a reserve future deal. So, uh, you know, it made me wonder, you know, do they not want this guy in the building anymore? Or are they going to sign him to, to something more proper uh, this next season? So we'll, we'll see what happens because the, the thought process was the 49ers brought in a couple of undrafted free agent linebackers, right? Uh, three of them last year. They brought in Jeremiah Gemmel out of North Carolina, Saguna Lupi, who was Drake Jackson's high school teammate who ended up going to San Diego State. And Marcelino McCrary Ball. And the only one who survived past training camp was McCrary Ball. So we figured, okay, the 49ers plan to succeed Aziz Alshire uh, was going to be McCrary Ball. But it could be that, or maybe they, they pivoted on Alshire and they believe that they have enough money to, to keep him now based on some other permutation in the salary cap. So they're like, okay, McCrary Ball, we'll, we'll let him go for now. Even in that case, though, I would think that they would keep him on a reserve future deal for another practice squad year, right? Um, so I think it's just best to wait and see what happens to let it fully develop. Because, again, they only have 46 players under contract right now. They have room for 90 on this offseason roster. So there's 44 signings to go. Some of those are going to be draft picks. Uh, but there's still plenty of uh, you know guys who will be re-upped who haven't been re-upped yet and I, I think it's probably smarter for us just to sit back and, and wait and see what they do yeah i agree um 44 spots that's a lot that's yeah. a lot so there's going to be many many transactions between now and uh whenever the first ota is it's usually in in early may uh and then david and i are i'll probably talk to you again um right around the time of the combine which is um late february um, we'll be able to talk about Brock Purdy's surgery at that point. John Lynch uh, will have spoken uh, at the Combine, and, and he should have some news. And uh, we ought to have more to say about some of these uh, impending free agents that we've been discussing the last half hour or so. But uh, for now, that's it, and uh, we will talk to you later this month. All right. Take care, everybody.